Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today we have joining us Isaac Kuhlman of Real Coaching. Isaac, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Hey, Christopher. It's my, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on the show. I'm really excited to have Isaac on the show today because he's not our traditional guest, but a lot of what he does connects very strongly. If you're selling, you're going to love listening to Isaac. So really excited to have you on here, Isaac. Isaac, tell me about Real Coaching. Yeah, so Real Coaching essentially is a business that helps Amazon sellers sell better on Amazon, uh, whether they're just getting started or they, they want to kind of get started or they've been selling for a while. We help them kind of analyze things directly. So um, it's not a tool. It's not a training program where they just watch some videos. It's a mix of everything. Plus, we actually look at their actual business. So we see their listings. We see their metrics. We see their, you know, everything. Um, even if they want us to see like their PPC campaigns, we'll see everything. And then we'll give them advice on how to improve that, which most people don't get that in their business because they're afraid that they might get their business stolen or, you know, concepts stolen or whatever. Somebody will copy that. Uh, but we, we work with a minimum amount of clients. So that way we can do this. We roll about 20 to 30 people a month and then kind of work with them on an ongoing basis. So we get, you know, 20, 30 people kind of on a monthly basis, but you know, as we're going, some drop in, some drop out. Um, and we're just not, we're not ever working with like, you know, 200 people or 500 people at once. It's kind of a, a, a limited amount of people. So works really well. Um, we get to work intimately with, intimately with our clients. And so we get to know them quite well as well. Our business is based on their results. And this is what we always tell our clients. Like, if we don't get you results, we don't get results for our business either. Cause then you won't talk about how good we are and all that stuff. So anybody who's doing any sort of coaching or any sort of personal consultancy, or even like, you know, if you're a, a, a personal fitness trainer, right. You have to get results for your clients. If you don't, then you're not going to last long in that business. So if you're thinking, Hey, it's all about bringing people in and just getting the money your business won't last very long. And that's the, something that we started from the core of our business was make sure we get our members the results first. How'd you get into this coaching? <laughs> so uh, there I was a little child. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start a little bit later than that. Uh, I was actually doing uh, retail, so grocery store. And, and then I, I moved into some other stuff, uh, retail basically. But I kind of started getting into the concepts of business metrics and, and understanding numbers behind how a business runs. When I actually worked at an indoor go-kart facility here in Las Vegas, where I live, and I was kind of tasked with trying to uh, become the operations manager for a, I would say very, very much failing business. And it was, they had two, this, this company had two locations at the time. One was doing really well. The other one was doing not great, meaning it never made profit. Not one single month in about two years that it was open, did it ever make profit. So I was trying to figure out what's going on. Why would they even open this facility? What's the point? And it turns out that the main reason it was open was to stop competition because they had some sort of clause that if they opened a facility there, like nobody in Las Vegas could open another indoor go-kart facility, uh, electric indoor go-karts. Indoor go -karts. Um, so it was kind of like a weird thing. It was like basically an anti-competition thing that they did with the city. I don't really know how they even worked it out, but I was like, all right, well, aside from that, you still want it to make money. You don't want to just lose money, right? right? So I started looking at the numbers. And when I started looking at the numbers, I said, okay, I see 
a certain amount of people coming per month. And I'm not going to get any more marketing spend here until this thing starts turning around. So I said, okay, well, what's the average dollar value per customer? And it was like $18 or something like that. And I was like, that's pretty low considering that one race is $20. So what, we're, what I'm seeing is everybody's only getting one race and a half of the guys that are getting one race or half the people that are getting one race are getting a discounted race because they race often or whatever. So I'm like, all right, so these numbers are way too low. And I turned to the, the manager, the, the owner of the company and said, hey, don't you think that go-kart racing is fun? And he's like, yeah, that's why I opened facilities. I was like, okay, so I think everybody else likes go-karts too. Why would they only come in for one race? And, he, and he's, his answer was, well, that's all they want to spend. And I said, I don't think so. Like if you're going to an amusement park, you don't just go there with a hundred dollars and say, this is all I want to spend. You go there for the day and however much money you spend to have as much fun as you want is kind of how much money you spend. Right. So I said, okay, well, let's, let's see why this is happening. So I started listening to some of the customer service representatives at the front door. And when they said, you know, when somebody would walk in, they'd say, Hey, welcome to the facility. Basically the name of the business. Can I interest you in getting into a race today? And they would say a race, a single race. And so this is driving everybody's factor of they're focusing on just one race. So I said, well, hold on. So you're just asking them if they want to get into a race. So what if they say no, when you tell them the price of one race, you don't have anywhere to go. Like they're just going to say, oh, that's too expensive and walk out. I said, instead of doing that, why don't you offer them the best experience? And that was our three, uh, three race package came with three race and a t-shirt for $45, which is less than triple the price, but basically quadruple the value. So I said, why don't you start with this? Hello, welcome to the facility. Can I offer you in a three race package today? So now if they say no, you can always go down. But when you focus on that, it's going to end up being that they're going to be like, oh, what's that? And then you explain and then they'll actually get excited about it. And when we did that, we didn't get any extra customers. We started making profit every single month. So it was analyzing these metrics of like customer value and all this stuff. Fast forward a few months, uh, I started uh, working and, and, and these guys, you know, all these different guys come in and, uh, and actually an Amazon seller came in. I didn't know he was an Amazon seller at the time, but uh, he was racing and I, I noticed he was doing okay. And I said, Hey, would you like to race faster? And he's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, I'll show you where to break and stuff. He's like, well, you don't break to go faster. I was like, well, in racing you do because you need to carry the speed through the turns. You got to hit the apex, meaning you got to hit the brakes real quick to get around it. And so I showed him that. And so on his next race, his slowest lap from the next race was faster than any lap from his previous race. Right. So he was like blown away. He's like, I'm in, let's just keep racing. Like, give me a, give me a monthly membership, give me an animal membership, whatever. And yeah. so we actually became friends. And um, through that, uh, he was like, Hey, I want to show you what I'm doing. Cause you know, you, you analyze metrics and businesses pretty well. I see what you're doing with this. Cause we, we became friends. We started talking about it. Um, and basically he was like, I want to see if you want to work with me and then let's build this business even better. So we did uh, day one, when I first started with him, actually the day before I was supposed to start, his account got shut down him and like four other people he knew that were like top sellers on Amazon all got shut down. They were all doing over $300,000 a month. And at that time that was 2013. So this has been over eight years ago. Now it was in April, 2013. I was like, well, I just quit my job while well, I'm out of another job and I haven't even started yet, but we got it all sorted. Basically, we had to remove 90,000 units of inventory from Amazon because that's how many were stored at Amazon under that account, repackage them, open another seller account, and then basically send them in bit by bit and like trickle them in until we got our uh, inventory storage raised. That process took about nine months. <laughs> it wasn't very yeah. fun, eight, eight, nine months. But by December of that year in 2013, we were doing $500,000 in sales again in a month. So it was a bit of a process that that kind of turn into us being seen as some kind of, um, you know, 
higher level sellers. So people started looking at us and asking us questions. We started creating a little bit of training and stuff like that of how to get products from, you know, Southeast Asia, get them manufactured, get them shipped and get them sold under your own brand on Amazon. Um, and then basically I met my business partner, my new now business partner, um, about two years later after that. And, and we said, Hey, we've had the same experience. We've, we've been selling really well for a while. We had a lot of people doing, asking us for free advice. And we noticed that when we tell people, Hey, here's how you do it. And they don't pay you for it. They don't do it. <laughs> they just, right. they take the advice and never do anything. Like I, I remember doing like an eight hour training with like a handful of people where we're just going through and like, Hey, like, here's how you find products. Here's what you want to do. Here's all this stuff. Here's marketing. And we even set up like ongoing kind of like um, training videos for them to watch. Nobody ever actually took that and did anything with it because they were like a friends, right? So mm -hmm. it's another thing of like friends don't think that friends are really as good as they are because they're too close. Mm -hmm. I even said this uh, a few times uh, in other conversations, but the people of Nazareth, if you're Christian, they didn't believe Jesus was a Messiah. They just thought he was Joe's son, the carpenter, right? right? So they're like, he's not, he's not a Messiah. He's just, he's just the carpenter. He's Joe's son. Like everybody knows him can't be, but everybody around the area thought he was the Messiah. Right. So right. it's kind of like that syndrome of the things closest to you can't be as, as elevated as, as they might appear to be, or might right. appear to be to other people. Yeah. So if I'm selling on Amazon and I'm struggling or whatever, and I come to you for a help, what, what are the common things you're seeing? Yeah. And we, we had a brief conversation about this beforehand. So I like where, I like where your conversations that you take uh, with your guests are, because I listen to a few of your podcasts and I like where it goes because when it comes to sales, I would say sales are kind of sales, no matter what you're doing, it's just, you apply them differently for the platform of which you, you have available to you. Right. So um, basically when somebody's struggling on Amazon, it's just like if somebody's struggling in a, in a real business brick and mortar, the difference is they, they can't go talk to a customer as they come in. Right. So on Amazon, it all comes down to traffic and conversion, just like it did in my retail store, every retail store that I ever worked at. And, and the difference is you have to understand your competition on Amazon. So you have to look around and say, hey, are these guys doing a lot of sales? Are they doing not a lot of sales? How, how, how well is their listing looking? Like, how, does it, how good does it look? And, and can I make, it, make mine look as good or better? And can I get ranking because I have to get sales just like they do? So you kind of analyze all that stuff first. So you need that traffic, but more importantly, it's the, the marketing messaging of, of understanding that just because you can't talk to the customer in front of you and like, there's no live chat or no video chat, no phone support that you can talk to them. Like they can call Amazon, but Amazon's not going to help sell your products. Right? So you have to anticipate every single question they have, every single problem they're going to have. So, you know, I see all that stuff come through in the IDO client. Now there are IDO client models out there. Like here's an avatar. Go write down their favorite magazines, how many children they have, what income they're making, you know, how big is their house, all this stuff, right? That doesn't matter on Amazon because you're not running an Amazon, like a Google ad where you can target that stuff. You're running Amazon ads, which don't care about any of that stuff. They're talking about keyword bids. Basically, it's a search to buy uh, and that's it. Like Google isn't looking for search to buy. They're looking for search to answers or whatever, like search to match, right? It's, it's, right. A, it's a, a query-based engine, whereas... Amazon's a sales-based search engine. So what they want to know is what things are most relevant to those. So that ad part is, is kind of irrelevant. You just need to know the, the, the words that match up. Now, as far as the ideal client, you have to understand why, do, why are they looking for the product? How do they use the product? How do they understand 
you know, what problems your, your product will solve, all that stuff. They're going to have questions. When they come to you, any listing on Amazon, they're going to say, does this product do this? And, and, and basically the, the thing I need solved, right? So that's what you have to anticipate. You actually have to write that into your listing. So instead of talking about how something is super durable, which kind of is a buzzword, I think it's like a marketing trigger word. You know, oh, it's super durable, long lasting, um, uh, multi, multi-purpose or versatile. All that stuff almost means something to me. If I said, hey, Chris, you know, this pen is versatile. What does that mean? Okay, well, can it write on any surface? Okay, well, why don't you just say it writes on any surface? That's the benefit, right? So that, that's what mm-hmm. you would talk about, writes on any surface, whether it be wall, wood, plastic, mirror, glass, metal, doesn't matter. That's what you need to talk about. You need to un- anticipate what they're going to ask and then actually say that in the listing before they can actually ask it. The more you can do that, the less likely they are to leave your page and the more likely they're able to you know, click the buy now button. So that is something that no matter what kind of sales you're in, and, and truly, I don't even like to think of sales as sales. I like to think of offering the solution to a problem. So if you just switch from, I got to sell this thing in, in, instead to switch it to, I got to offer the solution to their problem. Your mind is totally switched in, in what you want to say to them. It's like, if you're trying to sell um, you know, anything to your grandma, you wouldn't talk about, you know, hey, go get this because of all these features it has. And be like, hey, grandma, look, this thing will actually help because you, your, your arthritis is too weak or whatever. So you can't turn this thing, right? So this thing's actually really easy to turn. So it won't hurt your hands. So if you had a product that didn't hurt seniors' hands, you know, who might have arthritis, you would say, doesn't hurt your hands while turning it or something like that. That is a very good, big benefit. And that's what you kind of have to talk about in listings like that. That's what I loved about, I was so excited to have you on the show when we were talking is uh, it, you have to be able to sell, to sell on Amazon, you have to be able to sell without the ability to, to talk to the yep. person and sell them, you know? And so to be successful, you know, I hear this all the time when I talk to sales leaders that, you know, it's, it's solution selling, you know, that we're, we're fixing these, we're addressing these problems yep. for you. But when they are actually selling, it's easy to, to, uh, to revert back to the selling side of things, you know, yeah. where, where you're talking and talking and talking and selling, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, look, you got to cut to the chase. What are the problems you're fixing here? Yeah. And let's focus on that. I don't care yeah. about all the other stuff. I, I care about my problems. Can you fix my problems? Yeah. You got to boil it down to that. Yeah. And that's right. And, and, and interpersonal sales, like when you can actually meet face to face, some of that, like that is a, about 50% or maybe 70% of the equation. The other 30% is, does the person actually like your personality? And that is the good thing about Amazon is that's taken out of the equation, except for you can kind of write some humor in there or kind of say some things that kind of make you seem a little different than other um, listings. But, you know, if, if like you're too pushy, uh, especially in your marketing messaging, your copy, mm-hmm. people will just back away. They'll be like, you know, they don't want a car sales pitch on their listing. They want just the, the best things that are going to help them make that decision. Right. So wh- how, how's this thing going to fix my problem? I sell an ice scraper on Amazon and it's about to come to winter season. So uh, I'm really going to rake in some good sales here in the next couple of months, but um, an ice scraper doesn't seem all that awesome. It, it's not something that people would definitely, you know, take pride in. But when I write a listing, I, I really try to make it appeal to the person who's going to use it. So I talk about the benefits. So instead of saying, 
hey, this thing is, you know, seven inches long and it's got a flat plastic scraper on one side and a claw scraper on the other. Like that's not the focus of my, my listing. What I talk about is stop freezing your butt off. That's my first bullet point in my listing because the biggest thing for people when they are scraping their windshield is they want to stop being cold as fast as possible because it's not fun to be out there like chipping away at with like a credit card or, you know, whatever you got out there. That's like the, the cheap, you know, crappy scraper or whatever. And, and you want to get that done fast. So that's the first thing I talk about. Stop freezing your butt off. And then the second one is like clear the windshield with ease. Right. So like, these are the, the benefits. Yep. These are people like when they're using it, this is what they're thinking, man, I wish I had something that did this job easier. I'm yeah. freezing. <laughs> right. So if I offer the solution to those two problems, and that's the first two things I talk about in my listing, people are like, Oh yeah, no, this makes sense. And so then I put some humor in there, like, you know, break out your best macho man, Randy Savage, and just crush through the ice chunks and stuff like that. And Right. Um, you know, people get a kick out of that. Cause they'll actually write reviews that are like, Oh yeah, I feel like macho man or whatever they'll say. Like, I, I feel like I have Thor's hammer in my hand and all this other stuff. But if you add some, you know, humor or some personality that really goes a long way, that, that product converts at like 50 plus percent. So like one out of every two people that come to that listing buy. Um, so that's a very high conversion rate. Most people would never see that even on Amazon, yeah. but you know, there's that, that idea of, in interpersonal relationships, when you go to sell something, say you're selling, you know, restaurant supplies to a restaurant, they're going to say, okay, look, you basically give me the same services that any other service in here could, you know, in this city could provide me, but it's your attitude or your personality or the way you help them or the convenience of your support, all that stuff kind of matters. And some of that stuff kind of matters when there's an issue on Amazon, because then you'll get reviews based on how you treat people that way. Right. But it's not nearly as effective for the sale. Like it, it's not in that intertwined with the sale. It's more intertwined, intertwined with the post sale and any problems that might arise from that. So it's a little different. It's kind of like a reverse of, of what sales usually looks like. Right. But that's kind of good because for really good people who are uh, you know, good at interpersonal sales, if you just reversed your process, you could also potentially be really good at selling on Amazon. Yeah. That's what it really is um, interesting to me listening to you that it's like, you're right, selling on Amazon, in some ways, it's a heck of a lot harder yeah. than trying to sell when you've where you're able to engage the person face to face because you you've got one shot to deliver your message and it better be on point like right out of the gate, you don't have time to make mistakes and recover. Yeah, you don't have the ability to recover from a mistake. Yeah. The good thing there, Christopher, is that there's so many people kind of come into listings as long as you're visible, that if it doesn't work the way you have it, you can obviously optimize it and try again and try again and try again. But yeah, for those people that came to your listing, they're probably not coming back. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, and I remember interviewing a, a, a CRO a while back on an earlier episode, and he was talking about his first sales job was selling encyclopedias when he was in college. This goes way back. Yeah. And he learned that if he followed the script, which was tried and true, he sold. But if ever went off the script and started winging it or whatever, usually didn't sell anything. Yeah. And it, it made me laugh because I was thinking like, you know, I'd be that guy going off script. Like, yeah. I want to have a little more fun with this or whatever, but I'm going to fall on my face. You know, so it really comes back to like, if you really follow the rules of selling and really have that focus on what are the benefits, 
you know, coming from putting yourself in the shoes of the customer, yep. what do they care about? What is their buying process? What do they want? If you don't understand that, forget it. Don't do anything else until you understand that. Do you agree yeah, with exactly that? Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think the more you talk about yourself in any situation of selling, the less likely somebody's going to buy because they don't care about you. It's not that they don't think that you're a valid human being and that you don't have feelings. It's, it's just all that they're caring about when they're in a buying mode is how is this thing going to help me? How is this particular thing going to help me as the buyer, right? So if you start saying like, oh, I use this product too, and this is why it's great. They'd be like, man, you, you didn't even have to tell me that. Like, I don't care. Like, if you can show me like social proof that, you know, with Amazon reviews or whatever, right. that other people are also getting good results from this, then I'd much more believe that than just one person who's standing in front of me or, you know, you writing that in your listing. Because a lot of people will say like, oh, our product is designed this because we did this in our life and this helps us. Honestly, that doesn't help you in the listing. It, it can help with the, the brand story. You can actually write a brand story in a listing. Uh, there's, there's some other stuff now you can do that. But don't talk about that in like the bullet points or even necessarily some of the product description area. Because again, these are high converting areas where if they're just looking to buy something and all they need is some quick hitting information to understand that you're the right product for their, for their solution or for the solution for their problem, yep. then they'll just buy. They don't need to know your backstory. So you can put that stuff later down. Sure. But it's not there for them. That's there for you. Like they don't care if you're a family owned business, What they want to know is, do you do the best job for them? And that's really the, the bottom line. And if you can convey that as clearly as possible and as succinctly as possible and as fast as possible upfront, they likely won't go anywhere else. If, if you're an Amazon product. Right. That's pretty wild. Yeah. The, what are some of the, uh, uh, like, do you have like a, uh, a list of like, uh, like top 10 tips or anything like that when you're working with your clients that like, here, here's what you need to focus on? Yeah. I mean, maybe not like a top 10, but I can tell you, we do have an exercise where we go through like an understanding your marketing messaging for your listing. And, right. um, you know, the first thing you say is like, who's most likely to use this? So not to buy this, but to use this. And that's a huge difference because people can buy stuff for other people. And just because you go to your orders and you see mostly women or whatever, you know, I, I, I sell mostly for, I have two brands and they're mostly male driven brands and I'll still have over 50% of the buyers be women. Now, yeah, sure. Either the women are buying it for men or men are buying it on the women's account because they don't have access. They're not gonna have two prime accounts for one household, right? Right. We have one in my house. I'm the one on it. My wife buys it on me. So yeah, you're going to see like, you know, women's underwear purchased by a man. That doesn't make any sense to somebody who's trying to analyze that, right? Or right. whatever. But at the same time, you know, most of my products are, are bought by women. So don't think about it buying. It's who uses the product? And it doesn't necessarily mean gender. It's interest-based. So who's most likely to buy an ice cream? Well, people who have cars that live in cold areas, right? Yeah. I mean, I live in Las Vegas. Almost nobody here needs an ice cream. I still have some in my garage, but I've only used it once in the 15 years I've lived here. So yeah, they, you know, you got to think about these things. So you got to talk to these people like you're in their position, right? So who's, who's most likely to use this place? People with cars in cold places. Okay. Got that. Um, and in mine particularly is a shorter one. So it's not for big trucks and SUVs like that. So I even say it's for small car or for cars and small trucks. Um, and then, uh, why do they want to use this? So like, what problem are they trying to fix? Right. So how do they feel when they use this versus not having it? Right. How do they feel if they don't use this? Um, or if they have, you know, have issues with 
other products like this that have failed before, you know, we talk about this. So it's like an eight point checklist of like, you know, how does the customer feel when they're using it? How do they feel if they don't have it? You know, why would they want to use it? How do they use it? Who's going to use it? What's the price point that they're willing to spend on this? Like, what's the, what's the reasonable price, right? So like, I can't sell, you know, an eight inch ice scraper for $35. Nobody in America would buy that. They'd be like, this thing would have to literally like mow my lawn or something for me yeah. to buy that. It doesn't make any sense. Or maybe start my car from my coffee, like from my coffee pot. It doesn't, nobody would do that, right? So there's a reasonable amount that people would spend. That's huge for conversion. And a lot of people don't realize that you can't just charge whatever you want, especially on Amazon where there's, you know, hundreds of competitors right next to you. And if you charge mm-hmm. higher than them and there's no reason for that extra, you know, price point, people will just be like, not going to do it. And, you know, you could have the best version of something, you know, I could legitimately spend, you know, $5 to manufacture the best ice scraper. Then I have to sell it for like $30. But if it's, even if it's the world's greatest one, people won't buy it because on Amazon, they're looking for great product at a great price value shopping. Right. Right. So that's another part of it. And then also like, what do you have, like, is your unique uh, selling proposition or whatever you would call it? Like what's, what's the thing about your product that's different than others. And even on my ice scraper, you know, I, I, I call it my reinforced buttress. Uh, that's kind of the thing I talk about, but it's like this, you know, like the strided, like three extra, like butted pieces of plastic that makes it really strong. So it's, right. it's not going to just snap in half. I've run it over with my car. I stomped on it. It doesn't break that easily. And I call it the dang near instructable ice, indestructible ice scraper. So you don't have to say like better than brand X, for example, you just say what you really think is the thing that should attract a, a customer to that product. And and that's kind of that eight point checklist. Now, I will say the one thing about doing that exercise is if you write it out, it doesn't come out as good as if you actually ask yourself the questions and then say them back out loud. Right. You could even just tape record it or get your phone out and record it. Just talk to yourself in the mirror or whatever. Because I have a theory. Now, this is, this is totally based on totally you know, non-scientific things. But my theory is this, for whatever reason, our, our mouth is closer to our brain so we can actually convey things very easily. So I'm thinking the distance to travel from your brain to your mouth is that's how quickly you can convey your message. However, your arms and your hands are way further away from your brain, right? So by the time your brain sends that message to your hands, it's just not fast enough to kind of keep going with what you want to say. So you lose track of what you're trying to say. So if you're typing it all out, and obviously it depends on how fast you type or how fast you write either yeah. way. But when you do that, you, you start to realize you say the same things a lot. And you kind of speak right. in a circular pattern where if you're speaking out loud, for example, when you're speaking out loud, like you'll hear those redundancies, right? We had this person who had this fogless shaving mirror for your shower. So in the description, I think I saw a shower mirror like 13 times in like six sentences. So they're like, this shower mirror is the best shower mirror because of all the shower mirrors, it's the only one that doesn't do, it doesn't fog up while you're showering. And he's like, on the next one, it's like, because this shower mirror is so good, blah, blah, blah. It's like, if you said that out loud, you'd sound really dumb. Like they'd be right. like, we get it. It's a shower mirror. Like, yeah. can't you describe it in any other way? <laughs> if you said it out loud, you'd be finding things, new ways to right. talk about it, right? Yep. So I would say like that, that distance from your brain to your mouth stops you from doing redundancies and making it sound weird. Whereas the brain, the brain to the hands, they don't, that doesn't have that same kind of reference check. You know, it's funny is that I'm a serial entrepreneur and, and I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and 
um, when I ask the question, you know, what's your value proposition? What's unique about your business? That is the hardest question. You would think it'd be the easiest question, but it is the hardest question. Should be the reason why you built your business in the first place, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like, and uh, if you can't articulate that clearly and succinctly, forget it. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, um, so that, that, that's great advice, especially talk apart. I, I, I'm like, yeah, that's me. Um, my marketing team has learned like, Hey, if we have to do something, they just, just tell me what it is you want and they record it. Yeah. Because I do much better verbalizing it than if I wrote out the instructions to them. Yeah. Um, I, so I totally buy into your theory of if it's traveling down the arm to the fingers to write, <laughs> forget it. Long of a distance, your brain's already forgot what you're trying to say. <laughs> I, I think you get more formal too. Like you, yeah. if you're writing something down, you've worried about how formal it is, or you know, how yeah. does this look, and and yeah. you're not really paying attention to the words. Yeah, and if you ever want to find out if your written words sound as good as you want them to, just read out loud. Every, yep. Don't read it in your head. Read it out loud and see how it sounds, because that's going to be the kind of, you know, the the reality check of how well you can write what you want to say. Yep. Yeah, I love that. But well, we're up at our time here on Sales Lead Dog. Isaac, if people want to reach out and connect with you, because I, I, so much of what you said, it's selling. Yeah. If they want to connect and, and just to talk to you, learn more, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so I mean, we you can go to our site, goteamreal.com. You can reach out to us there. Um, you can obviously shoot me an email if you want, Isaac at goteamreal.com. Um, you know, we don't just talk about, we obviously we focus on Amazon, but the the, the concepts we have are all business-based. So if there's something that you ever want to hear, you know, what, what is, what's kind of a scenario here that you might have some advice for shoot it over. There may be some sort of way that we can kind of synergize or connect and make that work. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you for coming on sales lead Doug. Yeah. Thank you. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash Sales Lead Dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM. Delivering objectively better CRM for business. Guaranteed.